Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar to... goes to... Gentlemen, my only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer, kid. All real man. Love is, is Love. too weak a word. I know I know you. I know you. I did as you saw. Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Parasite. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 228 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. Time of recording, 11.18am. I am your host, Matt Neglia. And here today I have Michael Schwartz. Hello everyone. Josh Parm. Hello, hello. And Ryan C. Showers. Hi, everybody. All right. So I want to just say really quickly up front that the events that happened this past week in D.C. uh, were some of the most terrifying and disgraceful moments that I think we've ever seen in our lifetimes as Americans. The images that we saw there will live on in infamy in ways that I hope bring great shame to many of our leaders across this country. And... I can only hope and pray that things are going to get better. It feels like in these final days of President Trump's, uh, well, presidency, that he's doing everything he can to bring the whole ship down with him. And I really just want to put forward a message that we need to be strong. We need to be unified. We need to be educated and informed. And I think if we all come together and we fight against this common evil that is trying to rise up and really overthrow us, um, I I do believe that we can prevail in the end. And does anyone else have anything that they just want to say in regards to that? It it was a dark week, not just a dark day. It was a dark week in general. But I think there is progress to be made. I think what we saw the night before in Georgia was absolutely remarkable and should not get lost in everything else that happened. Look, it is not going to be healing overnight we have so much work to do we have so many people who are absolutely complicit in what happened last week who still hold roles in our federal government even when we have a transition in administrations but i think there is a path forward and it's not going to happen right away but we are at least moving in the right direction i think toward that uh, desirable outcome and that's what we need to continue on doing and keeping in mind i agree michael i think there is um there's only one way to go and that's up. And, um, I think, uh, the events that happened this past week, um, it's some of the scariest things I've seen in my lifetime. And I hope that, um, I hope that we can come out from this in a, in, and have a fruitful future and a more illuminated future. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we come on this show every week and we talk about movies, we talk about the Oscar race and there are times where, you know, 
I, I don't want to say that we get in our own bubbles, if you will, but there's so much that's going on outside of just this world that we have for ourselves. And we can't help but when we, you know, look at the Oscar race, we look at these real world events and we ask ourselves, okay, how is that going to influence voters' minds when they go to cast their ballots for, say, Best Picture or their nominations, whatever it is. And that's part of what we do here. Uh, So we have to acknowledge it up front because I do think it is very, very important in talking about the Oscar race. And that is something that we are going to discuss today. We are going to discuss where we see some of the top categories as of today, because now that we are in 2021 more solidly, we have Sundance ahead of us. After this month, we start getting more of the Critics Awards and then also nominations for the Spirit Awards. Uh, Golden Globes will be coming in early uh, March, SAG. So by all accounts, like January and February is mostly going to be critics groups still chiming in as we've had over the last couple of days. But it's very, very important to realize that the Oscar race is something that is ever evolving and it's always constantly shifting and changing and one factor of that sometimes are these outside events that which take place. Um, we are also going to give our predictions for tomorrow night's Gotham Independent Film Award nomination, um, film awards, and we are also going to go over the polls, discuss the trailer for Malcolm and Marie. But first, I want to ask everyone what they watched over this past week. I will start it off with Josh Parm. Yeah, so this week was actually was actually a little bit lighter for me. Um, not having to do a ton of end of year cramming kind of freed up a lot of time. So I didn't really get to a whole lot of new releases, but there were a couple that I did catch up with. Uh, I did uh, finally see The Life Ahead, finally caught up with that one, and uh, it's good. I, I enjoyed it. I don't know if I... Loved it necessarily, but I thought the performances were really good, particularly from Sophia Loren. And it was mercifully 90 minutes long, so it didn't really overstay its welcome. And uh, yeah, it's a good movie. Like I said, I don't think it's life changing or anything, but it's a solid, solid effort. Nice. Uh, Yeah. Then I also caught up with this movie called Your Name Engraved Herein which is this uh, gay Taiwanese movie that just dropped on Netflix like right at the end of the year that I'd been hearing some good buzz about. I really wasn't a big fan of it, actually. I thought the storytelling was rather poor in it, but it did have some good notices that I had heard from some people. So maybe if you have also heard that, you'll get something out of it. But I really wasn't a big fan of it. Uh, And then the last thing that I saw was finally seeing Uncle Frank. And... Uh, Peter Magdisi, really good in it. The rest of the movie. fantastic. Yeah, he's really good. Uh, I did not like the rest of the movie, to be completely honest with you. I I find that Alan Ball as a storyteller, I think, still has some kind of problematic things about him that really are not that well explored, if I'm being honest. And I think the movie's intentions are in the right place, but I don't think it's executed all that well. And... There's some things that happen in it that are just really eye-rolling to me. So one good performance, but the rest of the movie really was not a big fan of. You didn't like Paul Bettany? I thought he was good. Like, I didn't think he gave an amazing performance, but he was fine. Okay. Is that it for this week? Yeah, that was it. It, Like I said, it was a pretty light week. Um, (laughs) The events of the week also did not really get me in, in the mood to watch anything like really deep 
either. So <laughs> that kind of kept it light intentionally. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't say I, I don't I don't blame you for that. Ryan, what about you? All right. Well, I caught up with um, Midnight Sky um, earlier this week. And I have to say, like, despite, like, all of the the storm of, like, um, reception, like, you know, a lot of people really liked it. A lot of people really hated it. I, I, I'd be lying to say I wasn't thoroughly entertained. And I would go to bat for some of the techs. Um, but, man, it is a steaming mess. And it's just di- misdirected. And I, the, the screenplay is a mess. Like, I there's only so far I could go with liking that movie. And um, the other movie, the the other big release this year that I caught up with this week was Pieces of of a Woman, finally, which I I liked more than I was expecting to. I thought it was very artful in the way that it was directed. Um, It has a great score. And um, I found the interactions with the characters and and the emotional play that the actors were um, involved in to be so exhilarating and interesting. Um, and I think I was so happy to see like Ellen Burstyn in this really great supporting role. Um, I thought all of the performances were, were first rate. Very nice. Michael, what about you? Yeah. So I saw three movies during this very busy week. The first one, uh, was a rewatch. I hadn't seen it in probably about a decade. I've been going through some of the Jane Austen films and I watched uh, Joe Wright's Pride and Prejudice for the first time in a very long time, which is so well done. Kira Knightley is absolutely fantastic in that. But seeing Matthew McFadden outside of a succession is just so funny to me. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but really good movie. Uh, just great to reacquaint myself with it. I also saw Pieces of a Woman, got to catch up with that. And I was totally knocked out by it. I think, first of all, it is so well directed. Like, I would like to see him in the best director conversation, even if the film doesn't break into best picture. I think the way that that extended uh, birth sequence is handled is just truly magnificent. But the way in which he you know, use this as actors, it almost felt like something out of the actor's studio. It was so unique. And I think it's just a great way to showcase these performances. And those performances are just out of this world good. Vanessa Kirby and Ellen Burstyn, I will be rooting for both of them to win Oscars, uh, two of the very best performances I've seen this year. And I think the monologues that they get, both the Ellen Burstyn monologue in the middle and then the Vanessa Kirby monologue at the end, are just heart-stopping. It's just absolutely brilliant work from two actors at the top of their game. So that is uh, easily one of my favorite films of the year. And then the third and final movie I watched this week, movie, TV show, whatever you want to call it, is the third installment in the Small X uh, anthology, Red, White, and Blue, which I thought was by far the best one so far. I think John Boyega's performance is excellent and the story is compelling. It's just very, very well done. I liked it far more than the first two. Nice, nice. Okay, so uh, for myself, um, I'm sad to admit that I can't talk about some movies that I saw this past week, uh, but I will hopefully in a few days' time. Uh, There are two that I am allowed to give reactions for, though. Um, Cherry with Tom Holland Mm. coming to Apple TV. My God, what a mess. (laughs) The way the Russo brothers direct this movie is an everything but the kitchen sink approach. And even then, I thought that maybe the kitchen sink also got thrown into at certain points because, man, this thing is so overstylized, so overdirected. There's no consistency in terms of the filmmaking techniques that they use throughout the movie. It has like a, a screenplay that I feel like was written by a 14-year-old teenager. And it just... 
is so long. <laughs> it's two and a half hours long, and I don't understand why. I don't know why. It doesn't teach us anything new about PTSD or the opioid crisis, but God bless Tom Holland. He is really giving it his all. He is trying, and it is a performance that is very different than what we've seen him give in the past. So I admire that he continues to show new sides of himself to us, but at the same time, woof. Oh, man. And then I'm going to save my thoughts uh, for this one when we get to our trailer discussion, but I saw Sam Levinson's Malcolm and Marie starring Zendaya and John David Washington, uh, which is coming to Netflix on February 5th. So more about that in a little bit. Hi guys, I'm Dean. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the Movie Journey Podcast. Where we break down every movie from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. We're also home of the Pod V Pod, where we battle other podcasters in various movie games and drafts. We also do reviews of new releases, film tournaments, top five lists, and talk about everything else we've watched as well. We used to be the IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then, we've grown and matured with age. Yeah, if you don't believe us, why don't you listen to some more genuine testimonies. Oh, hey guys, I uh, I used to like the IMDb Journey podcast, but since then I've found something even better. It's the Movie Journey podcast. Oi, bro, I know I said the IMDb Journey podcast was a good show, but the Movie Journey podcast is so much better. Absolutely for sure, yeah. You know, I used to think that nothing could be funnier than IMDb Journey, but I've now found my joy in Movie Journey podcast. The IMDb Journey podcast is nothing compared to the Movie Journey podcast. Absolutely love this podcast. <laughs> oh, amazing oh, testimonies once again. Absolutely legit and real. Of course. And if you still don't believe those testimonies, go ahead and check out the show for yourself by searching for the Movie Journey podcast. You can find us on all your favourite platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Podbean. So come along and join our journey. Okay, so what I would like to do for our discussion is I would really, really like to start off with what we think is going to win at the Gotham Independent Film Awards uh, tomorrow evening, taking place, uh, well, normally taking place in New York, but this year it will be virtual. Uh, yours truly will be attending the virtual ceremony at a digital table. I, I, I'm i very, very curious to see how they pull this off, but essentially I, I will be they'll be like live streaming the event and I'll be able to hear other people at my table. I, I'm, I'm very, very curious to see how it works and I'm very, very excited for it. Um, so let's give some uh, quick predictions here on what we think is going to prevail tomorrow night. We have first up breakthrough actor, Jasmine bachelor for the surrogate Kingsley Benadir for one night in Miami. Sydney Flanagan, Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always, Orion Lee for First Cow, and Kelly O'Sullivan for St. Francis. I mean, it does seem like this is a slam dunk for Sydney Flanagan, right? Agreed. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I think so, too. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see King sleep at a deer or Orion Lee, but Sydney definitely feels like the one that a lot of critics groups are signaling out this year. Well, he does give me some pause because I haven't seen one night, one night in Miami yet, but he is like the reaction to his performance is especially overwhelming. However, Sidney Flanagan has really dominated with the critics and um, 
uh, I just think, uh, you know, and that movie especially has dominated with the critics, even outside of her performance. Mm-hmm. So I think this is an easy win for her, especially. Um, yeah. Okay. It's an easy win for her. Uh, the Bingham Ray Breakthrough Director Award. We have Rada Blank for the 40-year-old version. Channing Godfrey Peoples for Miss Juneteenth. Alex Thompson for St. Francis. Carlo Mirabella Davis for Swallow. And Andrew Patterson for The Vast of Night. Rada Blank. I, I, I thought so. But I wonder about Andrew Patterson for The Vast of Night because of some of those uh, long takes and how much they were able to accomplish on such a small budget. Yeah, this is a category that I think could throw a curveball. I think I would still lean with Rada Blank right now, um, but I would not be surprised if we got kind of a shocking name read. That wouldn't really throw me off either. What about you, Ryan? I agree, Rada Blank. Okay. Uh, best screenplay, Bad Education, First Cow, The 40-Year-Old Version, 14, and The Vast of Night. I think this is going to go to First Cow. Yeah, that seems right. Man, you know what? I, I, I kind of feel that way. But at the same time, I almost wonder, are they going to do something like to make a statement and give it to bad education? <laughs> oh, God, this would be the year. <laughs> doesn't it feel like uh, they do something like that? Every time I hope that any kind of a critics group doesn't do this sort of thing, they continuously keep doing it throughout the season. I mean, we just saw it yesterday with National Society of Film Critics where – they gave uh, runner-up cinematography to Lover's Rock, which is fine, but then they gave Best Director runners-up uh, to Steve McQueen for Small Axe. Not Lover's Rock, just Small Axe. And it's like, pick a lane, please, because this whole TV TV movie debate thing is just starting to wear me out at this point. <laughs> so I, I'm with you, Josh. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. You know, at the same time, I, I just feel like First Cow has so much passionate support behind it this year. And I really think that, like, Kelly Reichardt is someone that people are dying to reward in some way or another. Yeah, especially with this group. Yeah, like, I would still say go with First Cow, but if I am going to pick an alternative, I would just say for the bomb throwing of Bad Education alone <laughs> would be one I would look out for. Yeah. Uh, best International Feature. Baccarat, Beanpole, Cuties, Identifying Features, Martin Eden, and Wolfwalkers. Uh, man, this this is actually, like, kind of difficult. Uh, what do you think, Matt? Because I actually really don't know. So, I think rewarding Cuties would definitely be a statement. Yeah, but I don't think they're going to make that statement, though. I also think that if I take that out, Wolfwalkers could happen because there's just so much passion around it. Um, But then my third choice is Baccarat, which is a movie that has performed extremely well with critics groups in the international feature category this year, despite being Oscar ineligible. Um, But I almost feel like Wolfwalkers, Wolfwalkers is is my, is my prediction. Ultimately, I, I wouldn't be surprised for cuties the same way like you're saying josh about bad education and if they want to make a statement but i think i'm going to predict wolf walkers with baccarat as a runner-up i think i'm going to flip it i think i'm going to predict baccarat with wolf walkers as a runner-up yeah that's where i am like i feel like this group in particular they like to i i feel like wolf walkers would be too much of a mainstream pick for them um so i agree with josh 
I say I'm going to be different and say Martin Eden. All right. Documentary, 76 Days, City Hall, Our Time Machine, A Thousand Cuts, and Time. I mean, Time is doing very well, so it seems like be pretty easy to just keep predicting that. I, I agree with you on that, but I also think that there is something to be said for the bravery of shooting 76 Days and just how much uh, that is on people's minds right now that they might want to go for that, especially because, you know, I, I, I'm starting to definitely get this feeling that no COVID documentary is going to be nominated this year uh, for the Oscar. So I wonder if this will just be the place to kind of acknowledge that this uh, award season. Yeah, I don't know if I think that like no COVID documentaries will be nominated, but I am starting to actually now get the sense that if one is, it probably is going to be 76 days. Yeah, so I think I think I'll go with 76 days on this one. But time is definitely, I think, the I think time is the safer choice. Yeah. Now watch him give it to City Hall. (laughs) (laughs) You know, with City Hall, there was a nice development there this week that the subject of the documentary, Marty Walsh, is now our new secretary of labor. I don't I don't know if they know that, (laughs) but uh, I'm not predicting it. I I think it's going to be time for me as well. Time. All right. Now. Best Actor, Riz Ahmed, Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Jew Law, The Nest, John Magaro for First Cow, and Jesse Plemons for I'm Thinking of Ending Things. It's between Boseman and Ahmed for me, and I think I have to go with Boseman. Yeah, I, I do too, although I would love it for Riz Ahmed to pick up something kind of major, um, but I think it will still kind of default to Chadwick Boseman in this category. I mean, I would like it if Ahmed won it just because, like, to your point, Josh, I don't see him necessarily winning any of the big televised awards mm-hmm. this year. So, like, this would just be a nice way to give that performance some form of recognition and maybe also solidify its uh, place in the Oscar race for Best Actor so that this way people can stop predicting a snub <laughs> and, you know, we can move on from there. You know what I mean? Well, I think you may be in luck because I'm predicting him. Oh, mm. Yeah, I think if, uh, you know, uh, if there's anywhere where Chadwick doesn't win, um, I think it would be here. And this is, you know, the Gothams are just like a step outside the the mainstream. Um, so I think Chadwick is more of the traditional, like, um, televised five um, winner. Uh, so they could be in the mood to just do something a little bit different. And p- picking Ahmed would be um, would be that. Actress Nicole Bahari for Miss Juneteenth. Jesse Buckley for I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Yo-Yo Jung for Minari, Carrie Coon for The Nest, and Francis McDormand for Nomadland. I think Nicole Bahari is going to win. Michael? <laughs> oh, man, that would be amazing. Oh, that would be so great. I mean, obviously, that is what I'm rooting for. And you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to say Nicole Bahari is going to win, too. I, I don't view like the Gothams as kind of like a Oscar predicting sort of group. The same way that I would say something like Critics' Choice or the BAFTAs, you know? So I'm actually going to go a step further with this. I'm going to say Yu Yu Jung for Minari. That's who I'm predicting. Like, Francis, like, it, it, it would seem as though this should be a place where she would easily win. It feels too easy, though. It feels way too easy. And I don't know. I just feel like with Francis, even though she is winning all these Critics' Prizes, when it comes to these more um, established shows, I think that she, I think, I think we got. Everyone got our fill of her 
um, back in 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that this is just like, you know, I, I, you know, we're going to honor you with a nomination, but and again here, like, again, this would be a place to, uh, to give her a win, but it just doesn't seem like in their, in their history that they would do that. I want to be very clear about this though. I think smart money is on Francis. She is yeah. unexpectedly for me, at least this year leading the best actress wins amongst the critics groups. I, I, I can tell you honestly, like I, I did not expect that when we started this season that that's where we would be right now. So smart money is on her, but you know, like I said, the Gotham's kind of do their own thing a lot of the times, and they don't go by conventional like Oscar predicting. So even though she's one of the people in this race that has that kind of heat for a Best Actress prize, I mean, I guess I'm kind of you know being a little hypocritical here because Yu Jung is you know in the Best Supporting Actress race, but. You guys see my point. Not in the same way. Yeah. All right. And now for best feature, we have The Assistant, First Cow, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, Nomadland, and Relic. And I think that this is an easy win for Nomadland. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, they could throw us a curveball and do First Cow or Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. I mean, they could, but I also feel like in this category, they do kind of tend to default to front runners a lot of the times. And really, like, if you look at their recent history, one of the few times they didn't was when they gave it to the writer. So yep. they already clearly really like Chloe Shaw. And I think that with Nomadland being so strong in the race right now, it's really an easy pick for them. I agree. Michael, do you agree? I do. Okay. Gotham Awards are tomorrow night. January 11th and tonight (laughs) I have to mention it are the inaugural Critics Choice Super Awards which we are not going to do our predictions for but I just want to throw that out there make a huge dent in the Oscar race don't you know that Matt Josh come on now I mean (laughs) in a horror movie I mean you know Look out! That's stiff t- uh, competition to break in, right? I, I listen. I said this before. I am hoping for a better version of the blockbuster MTV Movie Awards sort of thing, and that's really what my bar is for this. Now, I want to talk about the state of the race, surveying the Oscar field, if you will, looking at where things stand at the moment. I feel like we always kind of talk about this off the cuff here or there on every show. But I would like to really kind of hone in right now on certain categories and just figure out where you guys think everything stands at the moment. And I want to start off with Best Adapted Screenplay, which I think for a while, a lot of us were thinking it was going to be One Night in Miami. But that has really, really failed to catch on with the critics groups. And now, granted, there's still a chance that it will catch on once we get to the main televised awards. But... I'm starting to really, really get the feeling that even though it's not the traditional type of screenplay winner that we normally see, I really think that this might be the place where Chloe Zhao gets acknowledged, Nomadland gets a major win, and that is what takes adapted screenplay. Oh, you mean the thing I've been saying since the very beginning of the season? Okay. (laughs) I'm coming around to it, Josh. God damn it. (laughs) I've seen the light. I really have. And I think now that Nomadland is much more well-positioned than I had thought it would be. It needs to pick up a win somewhere, and this is a good place to reward the film and the voice behind it. And, you know, I, I, I'm i with Josh. Like, I've said this since I saw the film, that I do think the screenplay 
isn't given enough credit. You know, there is more to a screenplay than simply snappy dialogue or action. There's thematical, emotional elements that the screenplay does inhabit. So I do think on top of that, on top of the film's uh, trajectory and, you know, stalwart strength with the critics, um, it's it's very well positioned. And uh, One Night in Miami still stands a chance. I mean, that film hasn't even really, you know, come out yet officially. Mm-hmm. So I think the buzz still has to work itself out there. It's a very fluid race. And I know no one agrees with me, but I do think Marini's Black Bottom is more of a contender um, than than what it's getting than what it's being given credit for. So I think anything could happen here. But Nomadland is kind of more out front because of just the dynamics elsewhere in the other categories. And don't forget that a lot of times in these screenplay races, the director of the movie is usually heavily favored. So that's another thing to keep in mind. I want to keep this in mind too. Uh, it was brought to our attention once we started noticing it um, over the last couple of days that Sony Pictures Classics has not really done a good job of getting the father out to a lot of groups, and it's losing a lot of steam at the moment. And I'm starting to think that if anything is vulnerable in this race, because the discussion off air has been what is going to get in that fifth slot? Is it going to be I'm thinking of ending things or first cow? And now I'm at a point where I'm like, I think the father is going to drop out and both will probably get in at this point because for the life of me, and I know that it's like not your traditional Academy film. And I also know that it doesn't have like necessarily the biggest campaign behind it in the world. But, you know, that New York film critics circle win for best picture. And then that stat of how no winner of that prize has ever gone on to not receive a single Oscar nomination. First Cow just feels like that lone adapted screenplay nominee that just makes perfect sense to me. Uh, We know that the writer's branch likes Charlie Kaufman and that film is continuing to still do well because they're, you know, it's a love it or hate it film. So that passionate love, I think, is what's driving it. I don't know. Like, where, where are you guys at on that? Because I feel like that's like the biggest recent development in this race, too. Yeah, I agree with you, Matt, that it's like actually kind of frustrating to see the father not really get out there in the ways that it should. And I think its stock is definitely falling. I don't know if I'm at the point where I think it will not get a nomination for screenplay, but it is becoming increasingly vulnerable as the weeks go by. And this movie is just not really getting in front of people. And like, I, I agree. Like there, there is some failing in the campaign, but I think we just need to hang tight. There is still, you know, there's still a good month in a, a, before it's even released, right? And like, yeah. I mean, more officially. I know it's out a little bit in December, but um, I, I think we just need to hang tight. Um, I agree. Like there is some failing in the campaign, but I think I think it's going to take a lot more. I think we need to see some more evidence before we drop it out of here. Um, Matt, as it goes for First Cow, I still don't, I'm still not buying First Cow as a nominee here, um, but obviously my mind could be changed. I still have News of the World in for my fifth slot, just as a safe pick. Um, but even that, I'm starting to lose confidence in. Um, you know, I'm thinking of ending things is looking more appealing to me um, as the days go by. Yeah, I actually added I'm thinking of ending things just because I think there was some room to shake things up. But as for the father, I think it's important to remember that even if critics and people like us just out in the general public aren't seeing it, there are screeners going out to Academy members, I believe. So they're the people who really count when all is said and done here. So 
I'm not going to drop the father from everything because I don't have a reason to really think it's off of their radar. Yeah, I, I mean, I really think it's really tough at the moment between these six films trying to get into these five slots. And I will be very curious to see, you know, once we get the major televised awards and they start chiming in with their nominations, uh, what's going to look like it has strength and what does not. Moving over to original screenplay now at this time. Mm. Oh, man, even though the precursors are not suggesting it at the moment, still, I feel very confident in Travel to Chicago 7 still taking this, unfortunately, for a lot of people that are listening right now. Yeah, I'm not going to say, like, I am 100% confident, but I do think we are in a situation where, like you said, Matt, even though the current precursors aren't necessarily bearing that out, I don't know. I just don't really see what else can overtake it at this point. Well, Ryan, I see that you are predicting something other than Trial to Chicago 7 at this time. <laughs> I know. And I got right. Yeah, I got roasted for it um, this past week, but I don't care. I'm just trying. I'm just kind of playing with some things like I do have Promising Young Woman in my first slot. Like deep down, do I think Chicago 7 is probably in the lead? Yeah. But I do think that there is um, I think there is a path for Emerald Fennell to uh, to win this category. Um, you know, our a contributor on our site, Amanda Spears, she pointed out that there hasn't been a female winner for either screenplay category since Juno in 2007. That's a long fucking time ago. And I, um, you know, Emerald Fennell is getting a lot of, a lot of due, a lot of due credit for her work on this film as the director, as the writer, the screenplay really is making traction. I mean, I, again, there's, we, we still have to see how the televised awards and the guilds, pan out but i think there is a path for her to build up enough traction and kind of like in kind of a similar way as jordan peele did i know it's not like the best comparison but um i don't know i think that uh, i don't disagree with that ryan i really don't because i do think that if the movie is able to get a best picture nomination she is currently gaining momentum with the precursors right now uh she's tied with never rarely sometimes always for the most screenplay wins at the moment but I there is a part of me that still can't help but feel like once we get to the main televised um, because because what I keep coming back to is this. I just keep coming back to something, which is like, let's play out scenarios for a moment. Right. In terms of best picture winner, it's correlation to screenplay. Right. If you're predicting Promising Young Woman to win original screenplay, you don't have it winning best picture. Then your best picture prediction is probably your adaptive screenplay prediction right which is nomadland and is that where you're at today um gosh i don't know i'm, I'm kind of waffling back and forth between nomadland and trial of chicago 7 to be honest um yeah you see you see how tricky it is <laughs> it is tricky but i don't i don't know i am the only person in the world who doesn't subscribe to the fact that aaron sorgan has to win original screenplay in order for his film to win best picture i think trial of chicago 7 has uh, is strong in other categories like editing and supporting actor that um, couldn't make up for that. So yeah. I'm, I don't think that it's set in stone. Like, you know, I don't know. The, the only thing about that, Ryan, though, is that we have just seen a really strong correlation lately between Best Picture and the writing categories. And one of the few times that that hasn't happened is when there's a really big emphasis on the director themselves, like with a Shape of Water situation. Right. Like, that wasn't really ever in the conversation to win screenplay, but everybody likes Guillermo del Toro so much. 
that's not the conversation with Aaron Sorkin at the moment. Like we're trying to figure out if he's even going to make the cut right now. So because Trial of Chicago 7 is stronger in writing, I think that alone boosts its best picture chances and therefore will influence him winning screenplay to me. Unless if the love for Chloe Zhao continues beyond the critics and into the televised awards. Yeah. And like, I know that I'm not standing on legs of logic, you know, but in the past I have been very stat heavy and um, it's gotten me a lot of uh, mispredictions. So I'm just more going with my intuition here. And again, sure. I'm not setting it in stone. I'm just saying, I think that there is a, a, a strong path for Emerald Fennell. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't disagree. I think she's number two right now. Uh, for sure. And I think a lot of that is contingent on that Best Picture nomination if it if it does pan out. But also this category could end up being Green Book versus The Favorite. Uh, you know, Promising Young Woman being The Favorite and Green Book being Trial of Chicago 7, where the the obviously written, better written film is ignored for the Best Picture winner. So, you know. Sure. No, I think that's good. I think that's a good way of looking at it, too. I mentioned uh, Chloe Jaw a minute ago, continuing, uh, you know, the recent... I mean, streak. She's on such a hot streak right now with director prizes at the moment. So let's move over to director. Um, I I feel like it is so tempting to put her at number one at the moment because of this hot streak. But my gut intuition is still still telling me that. I mean, and there's only two ways this is going to go, in my opinion. But. My gut intuition is telling me that once we get to the industry awards, I do think that much like what happened with David Fincher in 2010, where he ran the gauntlet in critics, won Critics' Choice, Golden Globe, and BAFTA, <laughs> he won BAFTA. And all he lost was the DGA to Tom Hooper, and then he lost the Oscar. I really, really think that fate will be extremely cruel and do the exact opposite this year with him. And I can't shake that from happening for some reason. The only way that I will firmly predict Chloe Zhao and be 100% confident that the Academy is going to reward only the second female director in all of their history, and that's like kind of the thing is that like there's so much history working against this happening, is if she wins the DGA. If she wins the DGA, I will be 100% confident. I will get off of this alternative reality that I'm seeing obviously playing out months from now that people don't want to acknowledge. I firmly understand that. But I'm trying to think steps ahead here. You know, I'm not living in the moment right now. And in the moment, Signs are pointing towards Nomadland absolutely sweeping the Oscars, but it goes against conventional, like, academy, like, what they just typically tend to go for. Parasite last year, you know, withstanding, and I do think that people are putting themselves in a position where, you know, they look at last year with what happened with Parasite, Bong Joon-ho winning as well in director. And it's like all of a sudden everybody thinks that the same thing will happen again this year. I mean, listen, I would like for it to happen. I I would I would be ecstatic if it happened. But people are going overboard. Yeah. No, Matt, I think you're being wise by, you know, having that far out view. You don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. So you really want to see what's out there, see how all the branches are going to respond and the precursors and know that this is still very much a two-person race, even if the critics uh, have really fallen in line behind one contender. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts. Well, the the thing that we don't know, and I think the, the key to this, is how Mank is going to be received by the televised awards and by the guilds. If if Mank does survive this uh, the the mixed reception it's gotten with the critics awards, I do think David Fincher is still in a good shape to to win in, in the end. Uh, but because it you know even though Nomadland is a perfectly directed film, I you know I still have some reservations about predicting it for director. I I don't know like but then again I have a lot of reservations about Mank because uh, I think expectations with Mank kind of undercut its impact on a first viewing. So again, I think we just need to see how people react to make. That's the biggest unknown. You know what I think the key is? I think the key is what's winning cinematography, Bank or Nomadland. That's a good point. I think that tells you who wins director. Yeah, because initially I, I was point. like, I was very much in the position that Mank was going to just easily sail to that cinematography win, but I'm not 100% sure about that anymore. And and I, I agree with you, Ryan, that there's a big unknown with Mank in terms of the industry that we just don't have the answer to right now. And I need that other piece of the puzzle in order to definitively say that I think Fincher is, is still going to win. I, I think he's still smart money right now. But, yeah, I mean, Chloe Zhao is just one DGA award away from potentially just taking the whole thing. And let's also not forget, and I, I feel very, very confident about this. Mank is winning production design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if it wins production design and cinematography, and let's just also hypothetically maybe say um, maybe it could also win something like costumes. Like that director plus tech prizes combination starts to look really good for Fincher at that point. Well, and like one thing we have to remember is even though like, you know, we in the film Twitter bubble, like we often think about the Oscars in terms of merit, and it's not always reward. The Oscars aren't handed out by merit. There are a lot of hand- a lot of times they're handed out by reputation. You know how people, um, you know people who've worked with a certain person o- over a long period of time. And David Fincher is in that point is at that point in his career where he has built up that goodwill within the industry and with critics. And just, you know, he has a huge name ID factor and a sense of we want to give him something. We want to acknowledge, we want to bring him in and be, have him a part of our club. Um, and, and I think that's also really working in his favor. And I think that's something we aren't really, we don't think about as much as we should. I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody won editing and sound editing. I mean, come on. <laughs> now, also, Matt, how much you want to bet 
that Fincher and Jaw are going to tie at Critics' Choice. Oh, oh man. <laughs> oh, no. It's, it's signed, sealed, delivered, Josh. If I'm being completely honest, I do think <laughs> Chloe Jaw will win Critics' Choice. I, I, I don't know. The Critics' Choice this year, they're going to... They're going to take the tiara like in Mean Girls and break a piece off for everyone. <laughs> uh, but I'm at your point, though, before yeah. we move on there, like, I do feel that Nomadland and I love Nomadland. It's my second favorite film of the year. However, I do think we are. There are certain segments of film Twitter that are really getting ahead of themselves with going so far into the Nomadland buzz. Um, I think we still need to see how the Academy is going to really react to it um, and just, you know, take our time here not jump to conclusions yeah no i i completely agree uh best supporting actor now i think this is still daniel kaluuya for judas and the black messiah however i am really 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 starting to feel that momentum and buzz for sasha baron cohen in the trial of chicago seven which i think is helped extremely by the release of Borat subsequent movie film this year. And if travel Chicago seven is our best picture winner, I would not count that out. Honestly, honestly, Sasha Baron Cohen has been a really big advocate for reform within tech and social media. So I think some news of this past week is a nice feather in his cap uh, on top of Oscar season. Well, and just Sasha Baron Cohen has everything going for him. I mean, other than the performance itself, like he has like he has the narrative. He has the campaign. He has the energy. He like I just said, he has, you know, been around for a while and he's built up a reputation for himself. I think, you know, and plus if his film is winning Best Picture, it just makes sense that he is lifted along with it. And my reservation on Daniel Kaluuya is the fact that his film skipped the, the festivals and it's it's the late breaking feature, and I think he's good for a nomination. But that late that, that late breaking status is often hard to transfer into a win. I do think the whole skip in the festivals thing is really just you know profit driven by Warner Brothers in hopes that they were going to be able to give it a theatrical release at some point. Obviously, they've had to succumb to reality and release it on HBO Max uh, next month in February, but. I do think that if Judas and the Black Messiah does receive a core uh, corresponding Best Picture nomination to boot, I think that that will help Kaluuya's chances. Whereas if it's missing that Best Picture nomination, I would then probably start to switch over to Sasha Baron Cohen. Now, one thing I also want to just throw a little bit of caution towards is the surge that Paul Racy has been receiving uh, with Best Supporting Actor wins in this category. He's currently leading the critics groups with nine wins at the moment. And I want to see it happen. God help me. I want to see it happen so badly. I have him at number six in my predictions right now at this very moment because there's a part of me that just can't help but feel like that is a critics choice nominee who gets in in a field of six seven however nominees critics choice usually has maybe even wins the darn thing i don't know but you know i could see him missing sag i could see him missing uh bafta i mean I, i'm not i'm not so confident i'm really not like, about a win matt uh about a nomination okay i agree with that sentiment i think that he has a lot of momentum right now as being the critical darling i think a and a big reason for that is because 
there really just is no consensus with this category still. Like, it is still very, very fluid, in my opinion. And I think that he does elicit some passion, but I don't know if that passion really extends beyond the critical groups that we've just been seeing right now. I mean, this category is really, really stacked, you know, because not just, you know, you don't just have Sasha Baron Cohen for Trial of Chicago 7. Frank Langella is also there for the same film. We don't know if Mark Rylance might materialize. You have Chadwick Boseman for Defy Bloods, Bill Murray for On the Rocks. Like, there are a lot of possibilities. If the love for Nomadland is truly out of this world strong, David Strathairn could, you know, Maria de Tavera his way into supporting actor. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I feel like Sasha is the only one I would consider to be a lock in this category, if I'm being very honest with you all. Well, like, I feel like you have Sasha, you have Kaluuya, Odom Jr., and Bozeman. I feel like those four are pretty safe in my mind. I feel like I have Bill Murray in in the fifth slot, and I think he's going to be the one who will, you know, do well with the first couple rounds of televised precursors. Like, he'll get Critics' Choice, go to Globe and SAG, but then maybe he'll miss BAFTA, and that will be the crack where somebody else gets in. That's sort of my sentiment as well. I think those are actually my five at the moment, too. All right. Supporting actress, which is, in my opinion, even more of a mess than supporting actor, because whereas with supporting actor, I feel like we have all of these possibilities. Supporting actress, it feels like we have much <laughs> fewer possibilities. Oh, man, I'm like, I have my hands over my face right now <laughs> because I know that everybody is really really going to bat for Maria Bakalova and Yuya Jung right now in Minari. They are the only two people to have won any prizes this season from the precursors. <laughs> and I, I, I like, maybe there's something wrong with me. I still have both of them missing. <laughs> no, I do too. I, neither of them are a smart choice. I mean, I think especially with Maria Bakalova, like, I get it. Yes, she is very much in the lead right now, but... I'm sorry. I think that is really just a critics thing, wanting to be interesting and daring. And it's fun to talk about right now. But like she is one sag snub away from exiting this conversation. Exactly. (laughs) Yes, indeed. The Golden Globe nomination is assured. And she will get that. I mean, she might even win. She also will get Critics' Choice nomination. Yeah, because the critics choice are going to include both her and Yu Jung, I believe, in their predictions. But there's just this weird once again, part of me that thinks that there's going to be a safer choice that's going to, you know, swoop in. And I, like, I'm sorry, I know I'm coming off as like a Debbie Downer this year with like everything, but I just, <laughs> I'm telling you, some, something in 2018 like broke me. And I, this is like now how I predict. I don't go with like the the passion and also like the moment. I am, like I said, think, trying to think like three or four steps ahead. And I'm also like trying to think of it from the, from the perspective of, OK, what will enrage film Twitter the most? But I, I agree with that, Matt, to an extent. But I do. I, it's just who the Academy is and their track record. Like Ronin for Ammonite is a much more realistic choice than Bakalova. Like in in every sense of the word, like in my mind, like I feel like the best supporting actress lineup is like is solid until the televised precursors say otherwise. I have Close, Coleman, Seyfried, Burson, and Ronan. I have those five as well. I still think that there is a world in which maybe passion for um, uh, Yoon Young Jun gets her like barely in there. 
I still think that could possibly happen, but the other four I do feel pretty comfortable with. Minari needs a Best Picture nomination to convince me that that's happening. I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's another one that's sort of like on the bubble as a contender, too. Like, I'm not saying she is definitely getting in, but that is a movie that does have passion behind it. And passion doesn't always get you the win, but it really, really helps for the nomination. You know what else had passion, Josh? The Mm. The Farewell. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I'm not, and like that was another one that was a bubble contender. I'm not saying that it's definitely getting in, but just looking at the outside and what could possibly play out, it's something that I'm considering. Best actor right now, I genuinely feel that four slots are completely locked up. Yeah. With Bozeman, Hopkins, Lindo, and Ahmed. It's that fifth slot that is a question mark for me in many ways because I think it could go. So many different places. Do you guys agree? Hundred percent. That a no, Ryan? That's a no. I, I don't, I'm not trying to be the contrarian, but I do think um, uh, Kingsley Benadir uh, is in a stronger position than Riz Ahmed, and I, I kind of think Gary Oldman is just. I think it, when when with it, when it comes to the Academy, and if they're voting Mank everywhere, I think Gary Oldman probably stands a better chance than Riz Ahmed. If Sound of Metal isn't getting in much else. I changed my tune when it came to Gary Oldman a couple weeks ago. I was saying that he was primed for a snub. And now just knowing that the Academy responds to him, I, I put him back in my five at the expense of Kingsley Benadir. Whereas Riz Ahmed, even though I'm having trouble seeing Paul Racy breaking into a supporting actor, I think that is a nomination that seems pretty set unless things change when we get to SAG and BAFTA. I, I have him in there for now, but Gary Oldman uh, is in there along with him. The one person that I thought could surprise in almost like a Javier Bardem in beautiful sort of way was Mads Mikkelsen for another round. I mean, that could happen. I He's not really showing up a lot of the critics, though, which kind of I feel like that performance really needs that presence as like a foundation heading into the industry. But I wouldn't necessarily write that off. When Julia Roberts begins hosting screen <laughs> else, then we'll talk. And once again, I think in the same way for Yu Jung with Minari, like Steven Yun is there. I think that he is very much outside of the top five, though. But maybe we are underestimating how much passion and love there is for Minari on nomination morning. And that's a really deserving performance. I would love to see him nominated. But, you know, it's just really it's, I'm really stunned that Kingsley Benadir is taking such a backseat to um to uh oldman and riz ahmed like i he just seems like such a it just seems like such a traditional perfect academy type of a nomination especially since everybody does genuinely love him in that role well i think that speaks more to just where the buzz on that movie is right now and i think that for one night in miami the situation for that movie could definitely change in the coming weeks when we start hearing more of the industry chime in. I just think that right now we've seen like this really heavy consensus with those first four names. And then it kind of seems like a big battle for that fifth slot. Like, like I, I really don't see Kingsley Benadir being ahead of Ahmed at this point. I, I just really feel like people are responding to the work that Riz Ahmed has put into that movie. And that is, a, a somewhat also kind of traditional kind of role that would get nominated too. So he's, uh, yeah, I think Benadir is finding it out with like 
Stephen Yun and Gary Oldman for that fifth slot. I think that's where we are at at this point in the race. And war on this in just a moment, but there is a newcomer in the top 10, in my opinion, and his name is John David Washington. More on that, though, in a bit. Can I ask, do we think, the, like, do you guys see, like, are, are we predicting Zyfred, but not Gold, Oldman? Because that, like, it just doesn't add up to me in the same way that predicting close without Adams doesn't make sense. I mean, we've seen it happen before, right, with, like, Tom Hanks and Barkat Abdi. That's, like, a, that's the exception that to the role. I know. Or Helen Hunt without John Hawks. Yeah. Again, but most of the time, they're, especially in a big movie like Mank, they come, whenever their actors are nominated, they're nominated in bunches. I don't disagree. Yeah, I, I don't disagree either, but when it does happen, it, it's because one category is just way more competitive than the other one, and I think that with Best Actor... Like, I have both of them getting in, both Seifert and Ullman. I think that is the safe money. But there is a world where people are are more complacent with Ullman because there's more competition for that fifth slot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I almost think that, you know, the mentality of, oh, Ullman's definitely going to get in. I'll put my vote elsewhere. And, you know, we we assume that he's safe and he's getting in. And then, you know, on nomination morning, he could be missing. That that is a possibility. I, I would though say that the more likelier outcome is both of them getting in Ryan like you said uh best actress now man um really 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 tough uh to say what's going on here but I think that Vanessa Kirby Viola Davis and Frances McDormand are the three locks of the category and Mulligan is like super super close to a lock but I can't say that just yet so i'm actually probably going to make a lot of people upset when i say that i have carrie mulligan at number six. Oh, wow i mean it wouldn't surprise me you know like I, I keep making this nightcrawler comparison and because that movie failed to pick up best picture heat and it really was just going to be screenplay and Hall in the end the screenplay got in but he probably Maybe I could be wrong. Maybe he, you know, he might have been number six. He had the most precursors heading into, you know, the night. Um, maybe it was Ray Fines. That was a really tough year for that category. Um, so I don't disagree, Josh, but my point still stands that Kirby, Davis, and McDormand, I think, are the three solid predictions in this category. And I agree with that too. Um, but. I don't think we should be discounting Amy Adams and Hillbilly Elegy. I mean, that movie just in general, I think people are really too quick to dismiss. I think they should be prepared for that to make a significant comeback with the industry. And I have always had this feeling about Zendaya in Malcolm and Marie. And I think that is going to crash the party and push somebody out. And I think that person is going to be Mulligan. If Zendaya happens, like, you know, I've really been... I've kind of championed like if we're if we're nominating going close, we're also going to nominate Amy Adams. But if Zendaya does happen, I think she'll boot out Amy. Josh, I'm more inclined to lean towards your prediction between you and Ryan right now. It's really tough and it breaks my heart to possibly predict Mulligan missing because y'all know she's my girl this year. Uh, So I'm deeply, deeply hurt by that. But once again, more on Malcolm and Marie in just a moment. I want to finally uh, move over to Best Picture, and I want to tie that into our poll this week. Our poll this week is taking a temperature check 
with the MVP film community because we haven't done this in September, shockingly. And we're asking everyone, what do they think is going to be the next Best Picture Oscar winner? So as of today, are we all still thinking that it is Travel to Chicago 7? Like we're all still like unified in this? Yeah. I am. I don't know about everyone else. I mean, I know that I was one of the lone holdouts for trying to pick something different, but yeah, I've sort of succumbed <laughs> to the consensus and have gone with Trial of Chicago 7. Yeah, I've had Trial of Chicago 7, I think, like, God, like since the beginning. <laughs> and I see no reason to change it until I start seeing what actually wins the major precursors. And when I say the major precursors, I'm talking about the televised awards and, of course, the PGA. Yeah, like, I, I mean, at this point, I, I still have a hard time seeing Nomadland winning. Like, I would need to see evidence of it winning PGA and the DGA for me to really buy into that. And at this point, I just looking ahead and guessing of what the taste of the Academy are going to be like based on past trends. I just I just have a hard time seeing that happening. Do you guys remember in 2018, Green Book did not win like a single Best Picture Prize from the critics, except for like two. And then when it won, like film Twitter was like, you know, laughing about it and saying, oh, how could they do that? And like they really just completely disregarded it happening. And it wasn't until we got to Golden Globe PGA. (laughs) I mean, the PGA was like the real the bells are ringing. The alarms, the alarms are going off like this is really happening. Golden Globe, I almost feel like people still considered it to be almost like a fluke. Well, I mean, that Golden Globes night was both Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody winning Best Picture. So it was like I think people just blacked out after that and pretended that that night just didn't happen. I guess like what I'm trying to say here is that we still have January and February in terms of critics groups. There are so many more that still need to chime in. I mean, like a lot more. And you can equate this almost in a way to some of the elections that we've seen lately. Even when you have 70 percent of the vote counted, <laughs> there's still 30 percent left and the tide could change. So I think that Travel to Chicago 7 is still going to pick up a win or two here or there. I And listen, you know, do critics groups ultimately matter? No. But all I'm saying is, you know, there are still time. There's still time for there to be warning signs for people. Yeah. I say this every year, and it's a lesson that I still need to repeat because people forget it. Critics are not the industry. There's a long road ahead. What has momentum and buzz now may not have it once the guilds start weighing in. And you need to think about the race in those terms. You can't just think about it right now. You got to think about it months from now. And I think that Trial of the Chicago 7 is in a very good position to play well with the industry. And that is the mindset that we have to be in when we're making Oscar predictions down the road. I'm going to just... Uh say one extra thing on top of that, Josh, critics awards help us to narrow down the race. They don't help us, I don't think, to predict the winners. They really, really help us to take a field of 15, 20 and really, really shrink it down. I agree with that. Yeah. Well, and part of the problem, part of the thing with um, Trial of Chicago 7 is there isn't really a big industry magnet alternative to it. Um, that would do well in the preferential ballot. So it's still by default the the front runner, I think. I'll tell you this much. If Chloe Jaw is winning director, Nomadland is winning picture. Yeah, absolutely. I really believe that. Yeah. But I do think that if 
Travel to Chicago 7 is winning picture, Aaron Sorkin does not need to win director. Yeah. I mean, like I said before, we're sort of wondering whether or not even Aaron Sorkin will get nominated for director. I, I think he will, but of the nominations that seem like uh, are going to be attributed to, to the Trial of Chicago 7, I think director is a little bit shaky. So you guys can head on over to the polls page on nextbestpicture.com. Vote there for what you think is going to be the next Best Picture Oscar winner. Uh, last week, we asked everyone, which films are you most looking forward to in 2021? Ryan, is there a 2021 movie that you are like, oh, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see it. Share with us. Um, well, there are two off the top of my head, which are um, The Women in the Window, which like I love Amy Adams. I love noir type things like that. And they're, uh, you know, literary movies. Um, so even though it's supposedly a hot mess, I'm still looking forward to watching it on Netflix in the coming months. And of course, I'm looking forward to seeing um, Halloween Kills and seeing Jamie Lee Curtis return. Michael? Steven Spielberg's West Side Story has been my most anticipated of 2020, and now it's my most anticipated of 2021. I feel the same way about Dune. <laughs> 2020 and 2021 again. <laughs> Josh? Yeah, my most anticipated film of 2021 was also my most anticipated film of 2020, which was also my most anticipated <laughs> film of 2019. And that is still no time to die. Uh, incredible. Let's take a look at what the MVP film community is looking forward to here. At number 10, we have In the Heights. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to seeing that as well. Very much. Number nine is A Quiet Place Part 2. And I can't disagree with that, especially because early word says it's better than the first. Number eight, Chloe Jaw again, everybody. Eternals. Which I am very curious about. Like, I'm not a big MCU person, but I am very interested to see what she can bring to that kind of big enterprise. I think she'll bring heart, character, and nuance to it, but it's still going to look like a Marvel movie. I hope Swanky's in it. <laughs> Number seven is The Green Knight. I mean, obviously, yes. <laughs> Six, Paul Thomas Anderson's Soggy Bottom. Always down for new PTA. Yep. Number five, the unknown titled Spider-Man 3. Well, like half of film Twitter is probably already casting it, too. <laughs> Number four, Josh. Do you have time? Because <laughs> there's no time to die. <laughs> Happy you made the top five. Number three is Last Night in Soho, which I feel like is going to be an often repeated joke for us New Yorkers. <laughs> Number two, Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch. Obviously, yeah. I'm very excited. And number one, Denis Villeneuve's Dune. Yeah, I mean, I want to see all those movies, definitely, and I hope we can see them soon. I do, too. A movie that you are going to see very soon, though, is Malcolm and Marie, coming to Netflix on February 5th, starring John David Washington and Zendaya. It is written and directed by Sam Levinson, who you guys probably know from Assassination Nation and his HBO hit show, Euphoria. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. You are by far the most excruciating, difficult, stubbornly obnoxious woman I've ever met in my entire life. I fucking love you. Oh, he's so sensitive. He's romantic. But he's sweet, right? Well, I mean, yeah. 
when he's not being an emotional fucking terrorist. Oh. <laughs> I love the way you see the world, Marie. Mystery. The unknown is what supports the tension of a relationship. You're angry. No. The what if factor. Marie. Marie. What if there's someone who loved them better? Give me your pain. Give me your sorrow. Tell me what hurts. I will carry you. You know what, Malcolm? I feel like once you know someone is there for you and once you know they love you, you never actually think of them again. It's until you're about to lose someone that you finally pay attention. Well, what is it, Marie? What do you want? Really? Do you want to go there? Yes. Okay. I will carry you. I will carry you. You want control because you can't imagine the reason I'm with you is because I love you. Everything that you've been through, everything, that's what made you you. The girl that I love, the girl that I fuck with. I will carry you. All I wanted tonight was thank you, Malcolm. That is it. You know that I'm thankful. You know that I made a mistake. So why turn it into something more? Because it's about how you see this relationship. Look at me. I'm the last person standing. I will carry you. Hold on to me for dear life. Okie dokie. So here's the deal with this from the trailer. I'm going to tie it back into Matt's Twitter reaction. Matt, you say this is a good movie, correct? Yes. Okay. I'm very happy to hear that because it seems like a lot of people like this movie. This was not a good trailer. Yeah. I, I whenever I first saw the trailer, I agree with, I agree with Michael. I'm, I've watched it a couple of times now. I'm warming up to the trailer, but I'm still hoping the film delivers something that we didn't see in the trailer. Yeah, I uh, kind of can't believe I'm saying this, but I agree with Michael. <laughs> 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 like I, I did, I was not really blown over by this trailer. I think that you definitely get a sense that the performances are front and center, and that is the major focus. And it looks like they're doing a good job, but it there is just something about what they have presented in the marketing so far that just does not really emphasize great writing to me. And there's just some quality that seems a bit off-putting, just in terms of this one trailer. Okay. So, I alluded to this before when we were talking about our Oscar categories. I think John David Washington and Zendaya have both entered the top ten in Best Actor and Best Actress with this movie. Outside of that, I don't know if this movie has other Oscar prospects, but what what I would urge you guys to kind of see this as is I would urge you all to view this in the same vein as something like Blue Valentine. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. And I do think that as a result of that, there is a chance that John David Washington could show up here or there. But the possibility of Zendaya being the one that actually breaks through the same way Michelle Williams got that Oscar nomination, but Ryan Gosling did not. Uh, but they both still received very strong positive notices for their work on the movie. That is the correlation that I see playing out for mm-hmm. this. And that's where I have stood for a while. Like, I kind of feel like that has always been the trajectory for this movie. Um, I think it will be like a really big sort of 
even more welcome to the club invitation for Zendaya. But outside of that, I really don't think the movie was ever really going to play in too many other categories. I mean, yeah, I saw some reactions the other night from some other uh, colleagues of mine in this field. And, you know, they were praising cinematography, the screenplay, even saying it could get a, could get a picture nomination. I don't see that happening. Um, happy to be wrong, because once again, I do enjoy the movie quite a bit. And it actually has it, it's actually gotten better in my mind since I saw it in the moment. I do think that it has like this very John Cassavetes kind of scrappy indie feeling to it. The screenplay was written in six days. It was shot in one location. There's only two speaking roles between John David Washington and Zendaya. And, you know, for some people out there that might feel, quote unquote, like pedestrian in terms of, uh, you know, this not feeling like, like this almost feeling like a student film to a certain extent. But I do think that the screenplay takes some pretty big swings at the art of filmmaking, the film industry, and even film critics, it is extremely meta about what it means to be an artist and people's reaction to art, your reaction to art, and the relationship that one has uh, with that and how that translates over into the relationship that this movie is exploring. At the end of the day, Sam Levinson and Zendaya wanted to make a project together once production shut down on Euphoria. And they're both, you know, friends with each other. So as an experiment, I, I kind of admire it, <laughs> you know, in that regard that it was just put together so quickly like this. But yeah, I don't I don't see this as a like a best picture type of movie by any means. I really think it comes down to John David Washington and Zendaya. I, I kind of is circling back around to best actress now that we have that context met. Matt, I feel like I have. I feel like having Zendaya at like number six, just outside of Best Actress, at this point is the safe, is the smart um, position for her. Um, I've seen a lot of people throwing her into the number one spot um, that she could possibly upset Viola Davis. Um, what's your position on that? Yeah, I don't see this as a winning role. I see this as a more welcome to the club nomination. Uh, you know, she's very, very hot right now after that surprise Emmy win for Euphoria. And so I will admit I I, I, I have her hovering, yeah, at around that five or six position. But as Josh said earlier, I think that if someone is going to get snubbed, you know, like Mulliken, for example, I think there's room for her and whoever else takes that fifth slot to also find their way in there. She is um, she is very strong. She's very, very strong, and she could very easily get in there. How about John David Washington, since you kind of alluded to him, too? I know we were talking about Best Actor. Yeah, I mean, what I really like about John David Washington in this movie is that it's a performance that we haven't seen from him yet. I have not seen him be this big or loose in a role. It feels like, you know, with Black Klansman and Tenet, you know, that he's... He just hasn't had, like, the freedom to, I think, like, stretch the way that he stretches here. And I think that that's going to surprise people because they're going to look at his performance in this and go, oh, OK, so he has the ability to go at an 11, mm. <laughs> you know, uh, she is the more subdued role of the two. And I do think that they kind of complement each other uh, pretty well in that regard. I could see some people being a little divided on his performance because it is very big at certain points. There's like this seven minute monologue that he has that. He is just he's he's like everywhere uh, during this monologue. And it's kind of amazing. And I don't want to reveal too much about it. But 
it's it's it, I, I was impressed by him in this. I, I wouldn't go so far as to predict him in my five right now, but I do think he is going to get some notices from some people. Well, it does certainly seem like I think your Blue Valentine comparison does make a lot of sense where it's like people like both of them, but the support for one of the performances just is a little bit stronger. And I think especially with Best Actor, like we were already saying, we're coming to a situation where there's less maneuvering in that category and it seems like there's more room for surprises in Best Actress right now. And just to kind of further that um, Blue Valentine comparison, Michelle Williams, from how I remember that 10 years ago, she just made it in, like under the cut. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think this the same thing could happen with Zendaya. Um, it will. It's not going to be something that she's going to like have a long trajectory of like, oh, she's coming, she's coming. It's more like, you know, film's going to hit really fast and she's just going to pop in. Yeah, that's that's exactly exactly how I view it. Was A Quiet Place inspired by signs it comes at night in War for the Planet of the Apes? Was Ready Player One influenced by Avatar, Wreck-It Ralph, and The Last Starfighter? Is a hurricane heist more influenced by Sharknado or Geostorm? These are the kinds of questions my guest co-hosts and I discuss on my podcast, Piecing It Together. Every week, we look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies inspired it, whether it's the story, the character development, tone, or even use of music. Every movie was influenced by something that came before, and we want to figure out what. Check out Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com. You can also follow us on social media at piecingpod. Piecing It Together is a part of the All Points West Podcast Network. All right. Let's now hear from the MVP film community what questions they had to ask us this week. Let's take a look. Uh, Josh at Josh from Indy asks, am I crazy for not having Mulligan in my five yet? (laughs) I just want to see her get the Globe Drama nomination before I feel confident that voters are actually seeing and loving this movie. Uh, Kind of expanding upon what we said before, right? Yeah, I mean, I have already said that I am not currently predicting Mulligan, which now makes it seem like this question was submitted by me under a pseudonym, which it was not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I, I think that I would caution people on Promising Young Woman. Like, yes, I know it has a lot of momentum right now and it could very easily get into many categories, but I am just trying to be a little bit more pragmatic about it and not give in to the complete hype of that movie. So I'm stepping back just a little bit. It could easily happen, but I think there's a world where she also misses. Josh, you're stressing me out because usually when you say things, they turn out to be true. (laughs) I know. I'm just like... (sighs) I, I I vowed, I, I made a vow, a, a solemn vow that since 2018, I would not let my heart get the better of my mind. And that means that I have to follow what Josh Barnes says this year, too. I mean, to uh, be fair, like I said, I think that she could still easily get in because there is passion for that performance. But I, you know, it, it's just one of those situations where I'm not as confident about it as other people are. I think um, no matter what happens with... Um with Mulligan with Promising Young Woman, I do think that it is firmly in the screenplay nomina- category for a nomination, regardless of if it, if it gets into actress or picture or beyond. So, Yeah, I agree. Uh, Dylan Gonzalez, which beloved documentary from 2020 that is perceived to be a lock gets snubbed come Oscar nomination morning? <sighs> oh, I don't want to say it, but it is definitely Dick Johnson is dead. Especially because now it's no longer my number one in the category. Um, I switched over to All In after the events of, well, quite frankly, the last couple of weeks in general. Well, 
all in is really fantastic in its own right because like even just like the way that it's edited and constructed it's so creative and almost even whimsical and energetic like it's a it's a fantastic documentary and you know most people have been predicting that all in to be the one that is snubbed as the high profile recognizable type of a feature we see snubbed in this category every year um but i don't think that it's gonna happen this time Paul Rye, which below-the-line technical uh, technical craft categories are you most excited for this Oscar season? I mean, to me, it's always cinematography. That's my favorite below-the-line category. It's one of my favorite just categories in general. And the nominees don't always bear that out in terms of my anticipation and, and excitement, but I'm always fascinated by that category. Even though I think Tenet is easily going to win visual effects this year, I am very, very curious to see what the other four nominees are. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that will be very interesting because this might be the most unique <laughs> year for that category. I am always excited for editing. Editing is my favorite um, below the yeah. line uh, element of film. So I'm, I guess there's a lot of moving pieces in that. Besides like Trial of Chicago 7, I don't think anything is specifically lo- locked. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see the way it shakes out from the guilds to the BAFTAs to the Oscars. Not to mention editing's uh, pretty strong correlation to a best picture win. Mm-hmm. And like editing, sometimes the editing branch does, like they give very inspired choices, but then also some really lame choices. So there's always like the, the wild card effect of that category. Yeah. I mean, also with wild cards, another category that I really always get myself very interested in is makeup and hairstyling because that is one where like that branch like does not care whether your movie is good or not, which is, I think the mentality that most of these branches should be looking towards. They should be judging the work and you get some really interesting nominees out of that category. Most of the time, even may asks, how's the original score category looking besides Reznor and Ross double nominated at the moment. Mm. Uh, that's tough. I mean, I think midnight sky is going to be in there just because of display. Yeah, probably. I know Josh brought it up a few weeks ago. Thomas Newman is in contention and i think there might be a slot for him if things shake out the right way is it crazy of me to think that if um mank does if it is a hit with the industry and the guilds and the academy that it will end up winning score over soul yeah that's a little crazy at this point i think you think it's crazy that Mank can win score i think a more likely scenario is they split the vote but their names aren't on the ballot though uh if Mank is like this, it, it, if it is a hit with the industry, it will be the most, um, it will be the biggest movie on the list of nominees, most likely, um, in terms of best picture uh, um, acclaim. I mean, it might be the only nominee in the category that is a best picture nominee. Ex- Possibly. Exactly. Yeah. And it has that like effect. Like I can still hear the Mank score in my head, like the, the really upbeat, like, you know, old fashioned like talky type of like you know in my head like i think it sticks in a way that other scores don't yeah i've been going back and forth between soul and mank like all this time i i really think it could be either one i also think that if anything i honestly feel very good about minari in this category for some reason i don't feel good about that i have it at like number five right now but it, it could easily slip off for me and then uh, I really think that James Newton Howard, uh, we, we want to talk about branch favorites. I think he's going to get in for News of the World. Uh, he could, maybe. I mean, I would have him in my 10 right now for sure. 
And then uh, previous uh, Oscar winner Ludwig uh, Gorenson for Tenet. How are you guys feeling about that? I don't know. Like, I, I have him in, but I could see him easily missing two. It sort of just depends on whether or not some other branch favorites will leapfrog him. Yeah, I, I'm in the same position as Josh, even though, like, I love the score for Tenet. Like, it's my favorite yeah. score of the year. Like, Matt, we, you know, when we saw Tenet, and I, like, 25 minutes in, I was like, oh my God, this score, you know? Yep. Like, it's, I really hope that it does um, get over the finish line. And Tenet has this weird effect, like, where it's really made a comeback in these technical categories. So I'm, I, I'm feeling good about it. Uh, Scott Kernan asks, what is a film that everyone is considering to be a lock for best picture that, in your opinion, is actually vulnerable and one that could be replaced by something that has more passion? Uh, man, I, I don't really know if there's anything that like that is like really out in front right now that I consider to be vulnerable at this point. The only thing that I've been considering lately, because there are a lot of people who you know, think it is messy and not necessarily great is Defy Bloods. Uh-huh. That's the only one that I've been like, it, it feels like it's locked. It feels like it's all set. It looks good. But yeah, I, I, I do keep hearing people saying, you know, oh, that movie didn't work for me. Oh, you know, like I tried watching it. It was it was a mess, you know, like so. Yeah, but, but the thing is, like, I still feel like The Five Bloods is a bit of an underdog right now. Like, sure. Yes, it's looking it better than it did a couple months ago, but I still don't think that's like definitely lock it in for a Best Picture nomination. I still think it's really kind of in the background right now. So I can't really even say like that one is a, a front runner that's vulnerable because I don't think it is a front runner for anything at the moment. You know, I have, I, I've been very cautious of Minari in my best picture lineup. Um, I feel like a lot of more, a lot of people are very confident and have it up in like the six, seven, eight range. I, like, to me, I think Minari is either going to going to hit or it's not. And I think that there's probably more of a chance, unfortunately, that it's not going to hit. Um, so, again, I want to see the way that Minari is received by the guilds um, before I really lock it in there. Uh, this one comes from LaFronda Stum. Discuss the possibility that three black women, Viola Davis, Andre Day, and Zendaya, might be nominated for Best Actress. Well, I think two of them is... Uh could possibly happen. Um, I don't think Andre Day will. I agree agree. with that. And I'm just very, very happy that we have so many great contenders uh, vying for a slot this year. Yeah, which um, one can argue maybe would not have happened without some of the bigger contenders exiting the calendar. And I think regardless, I, I really do. I'm very confident that Viola Davis will become our second best actress winner who, um, of who is a black woman. I think that's happening this year and it, it is way long overdue. Agree. I'm not there yet, but I would love to see it happen. Jeffrey care thoughts on the recently deceased filmmaker, Michael Apted. I mean, legend of a career, you know, the huge loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was really special with the, the up series that he would do. Yeah. You know, those were yeah. great, but also narrative was like a, the coal miners daughter. And uh, he directed a James Bond movie, so I'm obligated to mention that. I will admit, it's not one of my favorite James Bond movies, but anybody <laughs> who uh, is in that series, you know, deserves a shout out anyway. And final question for the week. 
I thought this would be very, very fitting here. This one comes from that CM guy. In honor of Donald Trump's Twitter account getting suspended by Twitter, what is the best revenge movie you have ever seen? Oh, man. Do you have an answer, Matt? Um, I don't know if it's like the best one that I've ever seen, but there is something about Kill Bill, and I do include yeah, Volume yeah. 1 and Volume 2 together as one that, uh, because its main theme is revenge, I I love the style of that movie. I love the way those performances were cast. I just absolutely adore both volumes as just a complete story. I, I think it's so awesome. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good one. I, I think I might have to lean with that. Because like you said, the it's like just a perfect distillation of just this is about revenge and that's kind of it you know there's no other kind of um thematic weight behind it where or like social commentary no it is just a woman got wronged and she's killing people for revenge like that is the story yep i'm gonna be on brand and say destroyer is uh as a is one that i really love in a vengeful way and um just you know, saying on twenty twenty brand, um, promising young woman, um, I think is uh, we can debate, but um, the how heavy, how heavily it is a revenge piece, but um, mm-hmm. there's definitely hints of it. So, yeah, I don't disagree. You know what I'm going to say? Um, I feel like you're going to say something that I'm going to say. Oh, that's such a Schwartz choice, but humor me, Ma. <laughs> oh. Okay, I love it. Yeah, me too. I love it. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic, Michael. I do want to uh, throw a shout out to Lady Vengeance. I just saw that this past year for the first time. um, And I was like completely blown away by it. South Korea, man, they just make like the best movies in general. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I have always said that, especially if you know somebody who they say, oh, I don't really like watching movies with subtitles. I would say a good place to try to introduce them to something is um, movies from South Korea. I, I feel like they. Those I mean, movies have a really, freaking. I saw the devil. Yeah, like, <laughs> come on. They have a really like kind of pop sensibility to them that if you, they're a good entryway for people that normally don't watch foreign movies. And and how could we like mention those movies and then not also mention uh, Old Boy? Well, yeah. I mean, great. Definitely not one to start off with somebody who. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that as a starting point for some people, but yes, it's very, very good. All right. Well, that'll do it here for episode 220 of the Next Best Picture podcast. Ryan, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at RCS818. Michael Schwartz. On Twitter at MSchwartz95. Josh Parm. I'm on Twitter at JR Parm. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Please feel free to give us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.